Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fits on Fantasy podcast. Thank you to my good friends from the band International Jet Set for bringing me in with that bouncy little ska anthem. It's called Headache. I do not have a headache at the moment, but I do have a foot ache, the result of taking a faulty step while running on the treadmill the other day. My right ankle is Fred Flintstone sized right now, but such are the perils for a fat middle aged runner. Hey, I'm not here to talk about my physical maladies, though. I'm here to talk about football, and I am going to do that in a minute with this week's guest, Ray Garvin. You know him on Twitter as Ray GQ. He's the host of the Destination Devi podcast and a writer for Dynasty League Football, and I am excited to talk to Ray. But first, we are only about a month away from the start of the 10th annual Scott Fishball, the biggest, most glorious fantasy football league in all the land. And how would you like to have a spot in the Scott Fish Bowl? The great Scott Fish was kind enough to reserve a precious SFB spot for one lucky listener of this podcast. That's right. Willy Wonka himself has given me a golden ticket to his chocolate factory to be gifted to one of my dear listeners. Here's what you have to do for a chance to win your spot into the Scott Fishball, simply rate and review this podcast. Hell, you don't even have to give it a good review if you aren't so moved, but rate and review fits on fantasy and you will be entered into a random drawing to win a spot in the SFB. And one more thing, I cannot enforce this, but I humbly ask that if you win that spot, that you make a donation of at least $20 to the SFB Podathon. It is a 24-hour podcast marathon that leads up to the start of the Scott Fishbowl drafts in early July. It's organized by Sal Leto. Sal's a terrific guy, and proceeds from the SFB Podathon go to Fantasy Cares and are used to buy Christmas presents for underprivileged kids. It's a great cause, and the Scott Fishbowl is, after all, a charitable endeavor above all else. So if you win... I will give you the details on how to donate to the SFB Podathon. I ask that you just give at least $20. So that's the deal, my friends. Rate and review the pod and get yourself eligible. A winner will be announced by the end of the week. So do not hesitate. All right, on with the show. Let's go talk to Ray Garvin. Joining me now is Ray Garvin host of the Destination Devi podcast, the curator of the DDP YouTube channel, a contributor to Dynasty League Football. Be sure to check him out at those venues and find him on Twitter at RayGQ. That's Ray, G-Q-U-E. Ray, I've 
become a big fan of your work, and I love your effervescent Twitter personality. Great to have you here. Welcome to the show. I am excited to be here. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, I don't get. I get a lot of. Uh, adjectives to describe my uh, personality on Twitter. And that was the first right there. So uh, I appreciate you excited to talk about college prospects, NFL players. It's going to be a good one. We need some football. Let's go. We do. And I can't believe no one has ever busted out effervescent for you before. So I'm glad I could be the first, hopefully not the last. Um, now, I like to think that all my guests are pretty knowledgeable about football, but Ray has actually got the receipts as a former college player himself. Uh, I'm going to ask Ray about his college career in just a little bit, so stay tuned for that. But meanwhile, uh, Ray, the primary f- focus of your work, uh, not the exclusive focus, mind you, but the primary focus is Devi, and it's a fast-growing format. And man, talk about a format that separates the football diehards from the casual NFL fans. But not everyone is familiar with it, Ray. So for the uninitiated, can you explain the basics of Devi? Yeah, Devi is, it's short for developmental. And Scott Fish is apparently the OG, the creator of Devi League. So what it is, is you are able to roster high school collegiate prospects before they matriculate onto the NFL and land on a team. So in my deepest Debbie league, you can't go past like a, a true freshman in college. So we're not actually drafting high school sophomores to sit on your bench. And mind you, that's that's a that's another component of this, right? When you draft them, they sit on your bench until they go to the NFL. And sometimes that never happens. So it's I say it adds an additional layer to Dynasty. You've got your NFL vets. You've got the college vets. There's another piece to trade. It's 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 so fun. It's so unique. It's captivating. And what I tell everybody, this is why you need to get in at least one Debbie League. If anything, if, if nothing else comes of the Debbie League, it puts guys who are going to be on the NFL radar a year or two in advance on your on your radar now, like you're, you're paying attention to players who are going to be draft eligible in 2021, 2022, which allows you to strategically make moves during your fantasy season to position your team to be in the best possible position during rookie drafts. Do you have separate Devi drafts and rookie drafts, or is that all lumped into one in Devi? Yeah, you'll have separate drafts. You'll have your rookie draft. And then like right now, I'm working on the Debbie draft. So we had our rookie draft in April. Now it's May and June. Now we have our Debbie draft where we can select players who are still in college, the incoming freshmen. So two separate drafts. And how big are the Debbie taxi squads typically? Oh my gosh. Some of them limit you to 10. Some are unlimited. So you've got some teams with 30 Devies sitting on their taxi squad, hoping, you know, that they break out in the NFL. Oh, wow. How did you get into that format? I I just, uh, you know, college fantasy football is, that's a whole nother animal, but I was playing college fantasy football and then saw Devi leagues a couple of years ago, start popping up. And I said, well, this seems like it's right up my wheelhouse. So let me give it a shot. And ever since then I have been just hooked. That's all I want to play in are Devi leagues and people who haven't tried them. Once they get in, they say the same thing. Yeah. That combination, being able to meld college and the NFL, because I don't know about you, Ray, but I have always been amazed that some fantasy gamers are just all in on the NFL, but they don't watch college football at all, at all. 
like maybe national championship game or the Rose Bowl, and that's about it. And I just don't get that. I mean, if you've got kids running around the house and need to focus on the family every Saturday to buy yourself some free time on Sunday, I totally get it. Or maybe you have to work on Saturdays or you've got errands to do. I mean, hey, I've got two kids and a, a house that needs upkeep and a wife who occasionally <laughs> likes to go out yep. for dinner. But uh, the people who just don't like college football and choose not to watch it, like, I'm sorry, but I just don't understand that position at all. Yeah, it's and, and what I tell people, if that's you, because they're out there, there are some people, like you said, who just they don't have the time or they don't care for the rules. They just, you know, and, and, and we take for granted. Not everybody has this vested interest in a collegiate team, right? Some people didn't go to college or they went to a school that didn't have a football team or whatever the case may be. You know, I had to I had to learn that about myself. And while I think think some things are like, come on, man, you should know this player. I had to realize that not everybody pays attention like me. So if you are that person who really doesn't have an interest in it, I just recommend you pay attention to people who do follow the college football landscape because that will help you out in your regular dynasty leagues. Yeah. So the Devi format requires you to have a decent handle on college football, obviously, and the talent flowing in and out. Um, I don't want to go too deep here since a lot of people listening right now don't play Devi, but everyone should have an interest in getting familiar with some of the top prospects for 2021. So why don't we talk about some of those guys? Um, First of all, what is your overall take on the class of 2021 and the talent level it offers for fantasy gamers relative to some other recent classes? I, I don't want to be this guy. <laughs> I don't want to be the next year's class is always better than this year's class guy. But as excited as everybody was for 2020, you should be equally, if not more excited for 2021. I've said multiple times, Pat, that these next two draft classes, 2020 and 2021, it's going to usher in an entire new wave of fresh NFL talent while we usher out some of the old guards. So if you missed out in 2020, you've got, this is it. You've got your last shot to really hit some, what I believe are transformational type prospects who could be in this 2021 draft. It's, it's fantastic. It really is. And, uh, I, thought it was going to be the 2020 class, just the the watershed draft and especially at running back and wide receiver. And then, uh, you know, 2021, we'd clean up a little with some more help at quarterback and tight end. But then so many of these guys I expected to come out like Travis Etienne, uh, Chuba Hubbard, Najee Harris, Tylen Wallace, like all these dudes chose to go back to school. So it leaves us with a pretty special 2021 class too. Um, now I think Ray casual fans of college football are familiar with Trevor Lawrence of Clemson and Justin Fields of Ohio State. But there is a small school prospect who's coming on fast. And I think everyone should probably know the name Trey Lance. He's a dual run pass threat from North Dakota State. And man, this guy has more tools than Home Depot. So uh, Ray, what's your take on his game? And how do you view Trey Lance relative to Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields? Yeah, a name that not many people knew about, you know, at the start of 2020. A lot of people didn't know the name Trey Lance, but he's definitely picked up a ton of buzz and for good reason. I mean, I, I understand. Let's take care of the the obvious. He plays at an FCS school, football championship subdivision. So it's not the big schools, end quote. It's not 
those conferences. It's North Dakota State University. So the level of competition is definitely not what Joe Burrow was facing in 2019. But Trey Lance, oh my gosh, you turn on the tape and the first time the ball leaves his hands on a pass, you can just tell this dude's throwing the ball different. This is not this is not your average, you know, one double A quarterback prospect. He looks like he belongs in the big leagues. He's going it's he's going to be a first round pick. If he declares in 2021, he's going to be a first round pick. He can do it with his arm, he can do it with his legs. Hit the I'm I'm telling you, I don't think the ball jumps off of any quarterback's hands the way it jumps out of Trey Lance's out of his hands when he throws the ball. It's it's beautiful to watch him play football. He's an absolutely fantastic prospect. I have him as my quarterback three in the class. I'm not going to put him over Fields. I'm not putting him over Lawrence. But he's he's a dynamite talent. Yeah, and um, you know, so we've got some established track record of of quarterbacks being able to make this jump with Carson Wentz coming from North Dakota State. So it's not like it's an unprecedented leap for Trey Lance to go from uh, NDSU to the NFL. But um, I mean, one number that obviously sticks out is the touchdown to interception ratio from last year, 28 to zero. I don't know how you go zero interceptions over the course of a full season, even if even if you are playing against slightly watered down competition. Um, pretty remarkable. Uh, like I hope no one nitpicks the fact that he threw for under 200 yards a game on average, uh, too much. Cause he was pretty close to that. Um, and the rushing numbers are just spectacular. And like you said, Ray, I mean, the ball just explodes out of this dude's arm. I mean, it's like when Donald driver used to talk about how Brett Favre threw and that the ball just made a different kind of sound when Favre released a pass, like this whistle that you didn't get with other quarterbacks throwing you. I, I would bet that Trey Lance has that sort of sound to his throws too. So you said he's number three. Who do you have just uh, to be clear? Are you uh, Trevor Lawrence at number one guy or are you a Justin Fields guy? I've been both. <laughs> I've been <laughs> both. oscillated on this one. Yeah, I've been both, right? I, I I like them both. I like them both. But if I'm on the clock and the, the pressure is on and I've got to pick one of the two, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. And I, I, I do play in a Debbie League where I got both of them, so I felt really good about that. But, uh, you know, I'm on the clock. I've got to press the button. It's Trevor Lawrence. And uh, what's what's interesting is a lot of people, even those who watch the college game, they, they talk about Justin Fields, his ability to move, his rushing ability, what he gives you with his legs. Trevor Lawrence, I think he's faster than Justin Fields, and he may not be as good of a designed run artist as Justin Fields is, but in the open field, Trevor Lawrence is going to produce yards with his legs. He's going to, you know, you don't want your quarterback. You don't want any of your quarterbacks running around like that. But in fantasy, we love it. The Konami code. Trevor Lawrence is going to pick up yards with his legs. He's very athletic. He's got good speed. And I'm not even talking about the arm talent, the decision making, and just his makeup as a quarterback. I just, it's interesting to hear people say, well, Fields is a better runner, where I would argue Trevor Lawrence may be just as good a runner as Justin Fields. Yeah, and uh, you see a guy built like that with the the prototypical big quarterback, and you think a, a pocket passer, but like he can get out of the pocket and uh, run around, which is pretty exciting. Um, 
is there anyone else who comes even close to the tier of uh, those two or three guys like uh, Jamie Newman, Brock Purdy, uh, any of those guys, or is it pretty much a top three and then, you know, down to a, another distant level? You know, I, I, I'm a fan of Brock Purdy. I think Jamie Newman's in an outstanding situation this year with the transfer from Wake Forest to Georgia. I think there are players like Kyle Chan, uh, uh, Kyle Trask and Chase Bryce. Kyle Trask, quarterback out of Florida. Chase Bryce, the Clemson transfer, he's at Duke now to maybe make a name for themselves and potentially sneak into the late first, early second. But it's these three, it's, the, it's, it's Fields, it's Lawrence, it's Lance, then there's a massive teardrop for me before I get to Jamie Newman and Brock Purdy. Who's your number one running back in the class of 2021 as of now? Najee Harris, running back out of Alabama. Oh, okay. Ahead of ATN, huh? Ahead of ETN. I've got ETN third, to be honest with you. But So it's uh, Harris, Hubbard, and ETN, or is Journey Brown sneaking into the top three? I like Brown, but he's not there. I think even with the running backs, I think the running backs, for me, it's another big three and then a big tear drop, uh, tear break for me. It's uh, Najee Harris. I I love his all-purpose skill set. He's going to test as a better athlete than some people are giving him credit for right now. And at that size, at 6'2", 235 pounds, his footwork, his lateral quickness, the agility, a a man that size shouldn't be able to do what Najee Harris can do out of the backfield. And then he showed that pass catching acumen this year, seven receiving touchdowns. I mean, he was doing it all out of the backfield, you know, choice routes. I just, I think he is the most complete running back in the 2021 class. Yeah. It was really telling that he was able to carve out a significant role for himself in a three-way backfield with uh, Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris too, a couple of years ago. Um, how good do you think next year's wide receiver class is? It it could be. <laughs> look, I, I'm not trying. To, I just have to preface this, Pat. I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm not trying to be that guy. But this class is better in 2020, and it's a better comparison, a better rival for the 2014 NFL draft class. It it, it I'm ecstatic just thinking about what we could see come out of the wide receiver position in 2021. And that's even with the unfortunate loss of Justin Ross, probably in this 2021 class. Yeah, he would certainly be, you know, at or near the top of the list, if not for the bad news about, I guess, what could be potentially career threatening spinal surgery. So let's hope, uh, you know, that's that he's able to, to come out of that and continue his career. Um, I, I guess we can't say at the top of the list because pretty clearly the marquee name here is Jamar Chase. Um, in your estimation, is he a better wide receiver prospect than Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb? See, Pat, let's we got to talk about this, okay? And I have been party to this this propaganda myself. I have I have I've perpetuated it to some degree, but We've got to pump the brakes on Jamar Chase being the best wide receiver prospect since, insert future Hall of Famer's name, Julio Jones. Uh, We got to stop. He's not my wide receiver one in the 2021 class. He's not my wide receiver one, and he's not my wide receiver two. Now, let me just say, in the wide receiver class, it's a lot tougher, but I think there is a clear big three, big four in my tier one wide receivers. And Jamar Chase is a tier one wide receiver. And right now at this point in time, 
that's more important than the actual ranking of the prospect for me. He's lumped in tier one with two other guys, more important than the actual ranking. But inside that tier, he is my third best wide receiver in the 2021 class. Now that's interesting. And it kind of excites me to hear that because I'm a Big Ten nerd. And uh, let me ask you about two terrific Big Ten receivers. Rashad Bateman and Rondale Moore. Are either of those two ahead of Jamar Chase for you? Bingo. I, I I would take both of those players right now over Jamar Chase. Nice. All right. Let's talk about Bateman and uh Rondale Moore. Well, first of all, with Rondale Moore, you're not you're not worried about the size. I mean, he is a, a small cat, but man, he is just electricity in a bottle. Not worried at all. Not worried at all. In the NFL, they've they've showed us over the past couple of years that they're really not concerned either. When a five foot eight and a half, five foot nine, hundred and sixty pound wide receiver goes in the first round as the first wide receiver off the board, didn't test at the combine, had a foot injury coming into the draft. Uh that that told me everything that I need to know. That they, they value the skill set that Rondell Moore has. They covet his position versatility how dynamic he was at an early age as a true freshman. I think people forget because he was hurt last year what he did to college football. It was if he played on a better team, he would have been in contention for the Heisman. I'm not saying he would have won it, but he would have been in contention for the Heisman trophy. Yeah, people uh Purdue football has not been a uh you know big ticket college viewership experience for quite a while, uh, you know, since it was the the Joe Tiller, Drew Brees era. But um, Rondale Moore is definitely worth the price of admission. Uh, check him out next fall if indeed we do have college football. What about Rashad Bateman? I mean, you got to be pretty good to uh, relegate Tyler Johnson to the number two receiver on a team uh, as a sophomore. So do you have Bateman ahead of Moore or vice versa? I've got Bateman at two. I've got Bateman at two and what you said. I mean, it's and it wasn't just what he did last year. You know, last year over 1,200 receiving yards, 20 yards per reception. It was what he did as a true freshman when Tyler Johnson was dominating. He still had 700 receiving yards, six touchdowns, and he does have that prototypical size at 6'2", 210, 215. He, he looks the part of an alpha wide receiver. When you watched the Minnesota last year, everybody, why everybody was drooling over Tyler Johnson and talking about Tyler Johnson, if you turned on a Minnesota tape and didn't know anybody's name and you saw number 13 and you saw number six, it would be no question who you would say. I would I would venture to say 99 out of 100 people would say number 13 is the best wide receiver on the field. That was Rashad Bateman. He's He's just fantastic. He's beautiful route running and separation creation, and he has the best hands. Every time you see him catch the ball, he's attacking it with his hands, full extension. It's just, it's pretty to watch him play football. Yeah, he is terrific. And, you know, as a Wisconsin fan, I can personally attest to uh, fearing Rashad Bateman more than Tyler Johnson, as as much as I like Tyler Johnson and, and respect him and think he'll be a pretty good NFL wide receiver. Uh, Bateman is just special. So interesting, Ray has uh, Rondale Moore and Rashad Bateman ahead of Jamar Chase, who, you know, keep an eye on all three of those guys next year because maybe they will be jockeying for draft position throughout the college season. Uh, Any other favorites among the the class of 21 receivers, Ray? 
I was just going to say, I just want to say one more thing about Jamar Chase and people take it as a criticism and it's not. I just, I just want to remind people that coming into last season, I mean, and I, I get it. People, people blow up and have seasons and out of this world seasons and they're going to do great things at the NFL, but what LSU did in 2019, it's not hyperbole. That was history. They accomplished something that no team offensively in the history of college football had two 1,500-yard receivers, a 1,500-purpose uh, yard running back, a quarterback who threw for 60 touchdowns. Jamar Chase broke the SEC record for receiving yards and touchdowns. His teammate was like second right behind him. If Jamar Chase would have went down a week, it would have been Justin Jefferson setting SEC records. Clyde Edwards Elaire, Joe Burrow, 60 touchdowns. I don't that's that's I I can't even comprehend that what they did was just it was outlier. We may never in our lifetime see a college team be as offensively efficient as the 2019 LSU Tigers were it. So I just, I just tell people, just keep that in mind, keep that in mind. Yeah, that is a good way to frame it. I mean, just the fact that it was this turbocharged offense and everything clicked that, you know, uh, maybe we shouldn't ascribe superhero powers to every single guy in this offense. But um, what about the others, Ray, uh, the, the Alabama duo, um, the aforementioned Tylen Wallace, uh, Sage Surratt, anyone you uh, particularly fond of? Yeah, I think uh, my my favorites after that big three would be Jalen Waddle. The if Rondell Moore is the most dynamic and explosive receiver in the country, then Jalen Waddle is his one B. He's right behind him. He's he's terrific and does it in the special teams game. Tamarion Terry is a top five receiver for me. The big six foot four, two hundred fifteen pounder out of Florida State. I know the seminal offense was bad, but Tamarion Terry, he's an athletic freak, and I mean freak. He is going to melt faces at the NFL Combine next year. He's big, he's fast, he can run the route tree, he's good after the catch. Uh, I really think Tamarion Terry is going to be one of those first round picks. You've got Seth Williams out of Auburn, Sage Surratt, like you you mentioned from Wake Forest. Uh, Damie Brown out of UNC, Tylen Wallace, Amon Ross St. Brown. They're just, there are a ton of wide receiver prospects in the 2021 class. And, you know, that's, I didn't say Devonta Smith or Justin Ross. So uh, it's, it's looking, it's looking awesome. The pass catchers as a whole are good. The tight ends are ridiculous. Oh my God. Th- that's what I'm most excited about the tight end position to see those guys go to the NFL, because I think we, we see another two, maybe three first-round tight ends in 2021. Yeah, let's spend just a minute on that position because this year's class basically sucked. So uh, next year's class might more than make up for it. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, Kyle Pitts, Brevin Jordan. Um, which one of these guys look like potential NFL difference makers to you, Ray? I think all three do, but if I had to narrow it down, I would say Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth. Those are my two favorite tight ends in the class. Pitts is an oversized wide receiver. Uh, that that's he's six six two forty, but he looks like a he looks like a wide receiver. He's going to be a mismatch problem at the next level. And I've said a couple of times, I think the night we hear Kyle Pitts, once his name is called, he's a top ten dynasty tight end. 
And Pat Fryermuth is if he would have come out, which some people thought he was going to declare this year, and he actually went back, but he would have been tight end one without no questions asked. He's athletic, he's big, he's physical. Where's that 87? So it's easy to call him Baby Gronk when he's out there running over players. But, uh, you know, college tight ends aren't used the same way as they are in the NFL. And Fryermuth has been productive both seasons at Penn State. So really looking as those two players potentially being first round picks in the NFL draft. Pitts, 100%. He's going to go in the first round. I think Fryermuth makes it in there as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you know no one was picking uh, in rookie dynasty drafts this year. Tight ends in the first two rounds, unless someone you know maybe got the idea in their heads that Cole Komet was worth a second round pick late. But uh, I don't know if he is. And uh, the fact that we might actually see first round tight ends next year is pretty. Uh, that's going to be a, a shock to the system for a lot of people. All right, Ray, I've been dying to talk to you about your college football career. So uh, first off, where and when did you play? <laughs> well, first of all, I would I would hardly call it a career. I would hardly call it that. But uh, I played a while ago, uh, 2005 through 2006 uh, from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, I went to uh, a small school in Nebraska, Shadron State College. Yeah. So talk about culture shock. You said, you know, it's a, right there in your Twitter bio, raised in Las Vegas, you go to Chadron State, which is what, like the panhandle of Nebraska? I, I can't even imagine more of a cultural downshift than that. Yeah, there were, uh, I was one of three black players on the team. And one of the other guys was, uh, was my high school teammate. And the other guy, Joe, he was that, he was the random black guy that was born in Chadron somehow and was there. Um, but culture shock for sure, going from, Las Vegas, Nevada, to a town that only had at the time one streetlight. But uh, I made some lifelong friends there. Truly, truly enjoyed my time uh, that I was in Chadron before I transferred. And nothing but love. I got to play with a, a pretty cool running back who a lot of people uh, knew about in the NFL. So that was fun to compete against him uh, daily in practice and on the basketball court and on the golf course. So that was fun. Yeah. So tell me about that being teammates with Danny Woodhead. <laughs> yeah. Danny and I were part of the same recruiting class. And I'll just tell you, um, I was hearing about him a lot leading up to fall camp. You know, this guy that broke Gale series rushing record, this Woodhead guy, this Woodhead guy. And, you know, I'm, I'm from Las Vegas and I played against DeMarco Murray in high school, Steven Jackson. So I'm like, this, whatever Woodhead, you know, so uh, <clears throat> fast forward to the first padded fall camp practice. I'm playing corner backside. They run a toss sweep to Danny. And the goal of the drill is for every layer of uh, defender to take an angle and cut, meet the running back at the angle and touch them, and then you do up-downs. Well, I'm playing backside corner. They run a toss sweep to the opposite side, and I'm taking my angle, and I'm looking. I'm like, okay, so let me speed it up a little bit. And I'm speed up a little more, and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not going to make the angle. And next thing you know, Danny's in the end zone and I'm getting yelled at by the coach. And I'm thinking, who the hell is this dude? And uh, he went on to absolutely smash at Shadron State, uh, the best athlete that I have ever seen live in person. He could do anything. I mean, he literally walked off of the football field 
and then almost went to the national championship in indoor track and the 60 yard, uh, 60 meter dash with no practice. Uh, he was just a phenomenal player, phenomenal athlete. But if you met him, Pat, you wouldn't even know he played in the NFL. Just a down to earth dude, jokester, playing around, really good guy. Right. So a guy, and certainly he was a guy who took a lot of fantasy, uh, fantasy managers by surprise when he started to come on big time in the NFL. But uh, I guess you would not have been one of those people who were shocked by his fantasy ascendance. Um, so how did you wind up at, at Shadron State, Ray, from, from Vegas? I mean, it doesn't seem like a, a destination school. <laughs> it's the universe works in really mysterious ways. So Coming out of high school, I had a couple of Division One offers. Uh, Boise State, before it became like Boise State, it was still just Boise, Idaho. Nobody wanted to go there. A couple of smaller Division One schools, Southern Utah, uh, UNLV, but nobody wanted to stay home at the time. And I committed to Boise State and uh, got into some trouble in high school. I was just, I was an idiot, just always fighting, doing stupid stuff in high school. And I remember the day the position coach from Boise called and said that they had heard, they heard the news and then uh, said, Hey Ray, man, we, we signed this other kid. So if you've got another offer, you know, kind of let us know. And it was late in the process. And I told him, I was like, I don't have anything else right now. And he knew somebody at Shadron state and they were looking for a corner and if you guys don't know back then, and heck, even now, Division Two kids, you're not getting to have full rides. You're not, there's no, you can get a full scholarship, but the only people that were getting full scholarships were Danny Woodhead. Uh, most people get 500 bucks. You're not getting any money when, when you're on scholarship, but they offered uh, a really, really good amount for me to go out there and play. And uh, the position coach at Boise State knew a coach at Shadron, and he called me up flew me out there and was like, this is what we'll give you. And that's how it happened. So just really luck of the draw. So you didn't finish there though, right? You finished somewhere else, your college career. Yeah. I had to get out of there two years. I said, all right. I, I just, you know, I, it, it, I realized that while I enjoyed playing, I was never going to make a career out of football. And when you're waking up at four o'clock in the morning, to get ready to go to winter pra uh, winter practices in Nebraska when it's negative whatever outside. It just, I got tired. You know, I stopped, like, I, I didn't want to play anymore. I was like, I don't want to practice. I just want to play in the games. Um, and once that happened, I knew that I just needed to give it up. I just, like, if, if that's how I felt about football, then that was it. Like, I don't, I don't need to go out there and subject myself to that punishment. I'm not giving my team, I'm not giving my coaches my hundred percent. So once I made that decision, I just said, I want to enjoy the last couple of years of college and just be a regular student, go to parties, not have to wake up at 4am. And I transferred to Texas Southern university in Houston. Um, I had went out for spring ball. Like, uh, didn't even show up the first day. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't, I didn't love the game the same way and uh, just wanted to go to school and, and hang out and party and do what regular college kids do. When you were playing, how would you have described your game? What sort of corner were you? Athletic, uh, athleticism made up for a lot of other deficiencies. I didn't really study tape. I, I was, I was athletic. My athleticism allowed me to get by at the division two level that would not have worked at Boise state that wouldn't have worked, uh, that, that, that wouldn't have worked. I, I would have actually been playing with Orlando Scandrick had that come, uh, come to fruition. But uh, I was, I was athletic. I liked to hit 
And because of that and that aggression that I talked about, I sometimes had a tendency to bite on double moves. I've been beaten over the top a couple of times on double moves, but uh, I was passionate. I was aggressive and I left it all out there on the field. It was, it was fun. Now your Twitter bio says you played with a smoke shield and I'm glad you I've got you on to ask about this. Like what are the <laughs> benefits of a smoke shield? I don't know. I've never understood like why, why a player would have one or not have one. Like what, what was the uh, appeal of one for you? <laughs> There's no benefit. It was a detriment. And uh, I had the smoke shield on in a game. It was raining and I couldn't see the ball and I muffed the kick return and I was pulled from the game and told to take that damn thing off and never to put it back on again. But it was just aesthetic. You just look cool. The, the guy with the smoke visor that's muffing kick returns. The- like, you don't <laughs> muff kick returns. What are you doing? I couldn't see. It's and I told up. Eric, I, said, I, I told him, I said, hey, you get it. I can't see. And then what happens? Hey, that's on you. You got it. You got it. And then I muffed the kick and got screamed at and benched. Are, are those things, are they like? sunglasses or are they like golf sunglasses where they're dark on the outside, but they actually kind of brighten things a little bit in your field? of vision. Oh no, that thing was <laughs> visors are horrible in general because spits all on them and you can't see. It's just like sunglasses. Literally. You just got sunglasses on out there. They're not ideal. <laughs> so you wound up staying in Texas. Now you're in the, the Dallas Fort Worth area. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm a native Texan, a adopted Texan. I've been here for, for some time now. So uh, yeah, from Houston to Dallas. So I'm living right in the DFW area right now, my wife and uh, my two sons. So was the, was the football culture part of the allure for you to settle there? Not really. It was just the job, to be honest with you. Uh, it, I guess it is in a way because I still go to the high school football games out here, Allen High School, and uh, we've got a really good team out here in Rockwall. They've got, so maybe, maybe subconsciously, I wanted to stay in this area because I'm always at college games or high school games. So it's, uh, yeah, it's part of, I guess so. I never thought about it like that. Nice. Now I know your sons are very young, just uh, three and, and your youngest is, did you say eight months or nine months? Okay. So would you have any qualms about letting them play football when they're old enough? Uh, my wife and I go back and forth on this. Um, That's I would let them play. Up your mind here, Ray. I know it's a, a tough yeah. one. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I don't know if I would really want them to, to be honest. Like I want them to, but I would prefer them do something else. I just... I know how I feel right now. And that wasn't even, again, not even playing at the division one level. Um, I, I just, I know too, I know more than I did. And th- all those times that the coach just told me, oh, you just got your bell rung, get back, you know, get back in there. It's probably not, that probably wasn't the case. So I don't know. I go back and forth. I, I want them to, but the, the, the fan in me, the football player in me, absolutely. But the father in me, uh, I, I don't know if I can do that with how I feel right now. I wouldn't want that on them. Yeah, I know. And uh, whenever I've asked ex-players that question, it's always the range of it has spanned from hell no to absolutely in a heartbeat, you know. Um, so I understand how, how conflicted you would be over that. Um, Ray, let me ask you about a fantasy football affliction that you have talked about at some length on your shows. Uh, you call it RMD. So uh, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Uh, not your required minimum distribution. I'll leave that to the IRS. <laughs> uh, it's rookie madness disease, and it uh, it affects 
the fantasy football community around this time every year, and it is back again. And it's it's evolved. It's even more vicious because these rookies are just they're flying off the board early and often. Yeah, so we're talking about like dynasty startups, right? Um, and and just the uh, yeah, everyone is pretty grabby with the rookies right away. And I know you had tweeted not that long ago that you had um, you were sort of owning up to your underestimation of the class of 2019. So does that mean that in dynasty startups you're always taking guys like AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, uh, Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel, guys who've actually established some NFL cred over guys like CD Lamb and Jerry Judy. You know, it's one of those things where the if the cost of the 2020 players, CD Lamb, Jerry Judy, Jalen Rager, at the cost that they're being drafted in startup drafts, I won't have very many shares of them. I just won't because I'm not spending, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not looking at ADP, so don't kill me over that. I'm not spending a fifth rounder on CD Lamb when I can get Terry McLaurin in the seventh or uh, a Darius Slayton. Let me say that Darius Slayton in the seventh or Preston Williams in the ninth or Nikhil Harry in the 10th. I, I just, I just won't own very many of those players on my dynasty team because the cost is just entirely too high. Yeah. What are, what are some other examples? Are, are there any other specific rookies who've stood out as being just grotesquely overpriced? Uh, well, I, I I think Jerry Judy is one. You know, I I think he's a phenomenal talent. But you know, w- what do we know about Drew Locke? He's a second year quarterback, second round pick who played a little bit at the end of the season. You still have Cortland Sutton. They invested draft capital in another wide receiver in KJ Hamler, and then Albert O and Noah Fant. I just uh, I, I'm not taking Jerry Judy where he's going in dynasty startup drafts. I'm not I'm, I'm not doing it. I would rather have. Like I said, when you're talking about those second-year players, I'd rather have a Deontay Johnson. I'd rather have a Preston Williams at cost than paying up for one of these rookies. I see it with Jerry Judy. Uh, You definitely see it with CeeDee Lamb. The running backs, uh, oh my goodness. I mean, Yeah, I was going to say, do you think it's more pervasive, uh, RMD at wide receiver running back? Is it even worse at running back? I mean, I, I've I've seen I've seen running backs go, and I am not exaggerating. Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Clyde Edwards-Helaire, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> oh, Zeke, Zeke's old. Kamara's not a. He got hurt last year. Clyde is in Kansas City. He's the. I, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen, and uh, goodness, I just it's it's the, the disease is running rampant. I don't know how to stop it. There's no cure. You just got to let it wear off. And it will eventually happen when people look back and say, man, I probably shouldn't have drafted. Not I shouldn't have drafted that player, but I probably shouldn't have taken that player that high. It's going to happen. Yeah. So uh, confining it to just, uh, you know, the apples to apples discussion instead of mixing in the apples with the oranges. If we're talking just rookies, uh, does, does that mean you prefer CD Lamb to Jerry Judy because of the quarterback advantage? Yeah, I, I like I like I like CD Lamb even before I knew where he was going to land at. I think he's I think he's he's an he's an elite prospect. Uh, I I think we're going to see great things from CD Lamb, and I'm not concerned about his landing spot in Dallas. You know, I I, I tell people 
you don't need to worry about elite type players and elite offenses. And as long as Dak Prescott is there, as long as they keep the core of that offensive line together, and I know they lost Travis Frederick, but they still have Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, Lyle Collins, you know, Connor Williams at the left guard, Zeke, that offense is going to be just fine. And C.D. Lamb is going to, is going to feast. And I, I think he's going to be very, very good for the long run for Dallas and for fantasy owners. Yeah, when uh, when I saw what he did to Texas last year, that day was pretty much he was my wide receiver one, and that was pretty much it. So, um, you mentioned Jalen Rager before. Uh, how confident are you about him? You've been you've been a big fan of his, uh, pretty much in the pre-draft process, right? Uh, were you pleased with the landing spot? Are you pretty sold on his NFL future? I, I don't think his landing spot could have been any better. I don't. I, I think he. I think he landed with a team, with a coach, with a quarterback, and with a skill set that is going to just mesh perfectly. I, I really, maybe the Green Bay Packers, maybe. And the day he ran the wrong route, Aaron Rodgers would never throw him the ball again. Whereas Carson Wentz has probably got a little more grace for those mistakes than Aaron Rodgers. And then we don't even know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. That's a whole other topic, Green Bay. We're not, we could spend a whole show talking about how bad Green Bay's offseason has been. Oh, believe but, me, as a Packer fan, we've, we've covered that on this show, Ray. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm a big believer in Jalen Rager. And a lot of people, it, and this is objective, it's not because he's been my guy or, or anything like that. His, his talent, and his skill set meshes well with what Philadelphia wants to do. Now, is he going to be, you know, some all pro type player? I'm not going to say that, but he de- he's definitely going to have the opportunity to maximize and capitalize on his particular skill set with the team that wants to use that skill set. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, they needed a vertical, a, a dependable vertical receiver so badly. And I mean, he just fits the bill. Um, all right, so going back to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, I know a lot of dynasty rookie drafts have taken place already, but if you had held the 101 in any rookie drafts this year, who would you have taken? Uh, yeah, and here I go. It would be it would be Clyde, and I did it. I, I only had – it was the 102. The 101 was Burrow, was super flex, so I essentially had my choice of everybody. And I took Clyde Edwards-Elaire. I do think that he's a talented running back who is in the Rainmaker-type offense with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Sometimes I think about it, though, and I've I've gone back and forth and said, man, did I make a mistake? Should I have taken Jonathan Taylor instead of uh, CEH? But we're not going to get into all the the reasons why, you know, team makeup and construction. But I do think Clyde is going to be a very good running back. Uh, in the NFL, I, I don't think he'll ever be like running the running back. You know, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Zeke. I, I, I don't even know if he's maybe prime Kamara. That's the type of production we can expect. But I think he's a, a really good talent on an outstanding situation. So I would take Clyde if I was sitting at the one on one. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, and we're going to be looking at this years from now as sort of an interesting case study as sort of almost like a God nature versus nurture type thing where you've got, I don't know, like I think in a vacuum, hard to dispute that Taylor's the better prospect, uh, bigger, faster, 
uh, three years of college production versus just, you know, one year of elite production for, for Clyde. And, uh, you know, but Clyde just goes into obviously the, the best possible ecosystem. And, uh, you know, where, whereas Taylor's landing spot, certainly not bad. I mean, uh, you know, like, if, yeah, if you could have called Indy as a landing spot for him, I think, you know, Jonathan Taylor advocates like myself would have been pretty pleased with that. But, uh, you know, it's certainly not Kansas City, which is just the, uh, you know, the, the rainmaker landing spot. So but isn't um, that isn't that a I feel bad about that, right? That goes against everything that football is about, everything that we say fantasy is about. And I'm sitting here saying Taylor is it's und, it's undeniable. He's a better runner, period. He's bigger. He's faster. He's stronger. He's just and and he's in a good off. He's in a good situation with Indianapolis's offensive line. But here I am with one year of production from a running back who's five seven two oh two, and I'm taking him over what I watched Jonathan Taylor do over the past three years, which is absolutely destroy his competition like that that feels wrong I, I feel like I'm doing it wrong but yet it feels right <laughs> right and and in that pinball machine of an offense that we talked about earlier with LSU but you know so I have to disqualify myself being a Wisconsin guy uh you know I can't possibly weigh in without any bias but you know Taylor would have been my one-on-one um but I I totally understand it man I mean Clyde in that the other thing, I mean, we've we've had, uh, you know, I had Scott Barrett on the show last week reminding us that a, a target for a receiver is worth 2.8 times more than a carry. And, uh, you know, there's there's no way in hell that I would ever bet that Jonathan Taylor is going to have more receptions or more targets next year than Clyde. So, um, yeah, I, you could definitely, it's a, a fascinating argument. And, uh, you know, I can't really nitpick either side of it too much. So, I don't know. Um, shifting gears a little bit, Ray, uh, is Derrick Henry, in your estimation, underrated? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw you say that on Twitter the other day. That was an interesting thought. But uh, the more I thought about it, the more I kind of agree with that. So what was uh, what was your frame of mind for that? Well, I think it's – I don't know. It's the, the age thing, right? The age apex. Once a running back reaches this age, you need to get rid of him. While I, I understand the sentiment behind saying that, when you've got a some players were just built to run the ball, and I know that there's no data to back that, there's no analytical model that can prove that, but that's just football. That's just that's just the game. Some people are just built to do this, and Derrick Henry is that tank. He's just he's built to do this. He gets stronger as the season goes on. He's never injured. What more do we want from a running back? Yes, we would love to see him catch more passes, but you know what? It's not going to happen. It hasn't happened yet to this point in his career, and it's not going to change. Appreciate what he gives you on the ground, running the ball, because that's that's what. And, and you're right. The targets two point eight times more for, per target opposed to the carry. But you know Derrick Henry is going to be carrying in the rock for you for for years to come. He's just he's just one of those players who's just built to do this. And I don't know why we in the fantasy football space want to continue to sort of just like retire this guy. He's what have we seen that indicates he's anywhere near 
slowing down. And you got to remember the first two years of his career, he was still splitting time with DeMarco Murray, who had this ridiculous year one in Tennessee and then was putrid in that that following year, but they rem- kept giving him carries for whatever reason. But I don't know why people are just sort of dismissive of the NFL's leading rusher last year. Yeah, I don't know if it is that, uh, you know, he's this like 1970s, 1980s prototype of a running back and, uh, you know, people just don't want to see it. I don't want to say Earl Campbell. He's not quite that physical, but maybe like an Eric Dickerson in the the modern NFL. Like what what's wrong with that? Just because he's not a pass catcher. I mean, he's proven that he does, you know, he's so so above and beyond what the typical running back gives you in terms of rushing value that I think it just sort of, in his case, uh, you know, negates any shortcomings in the passing game. So um, I'm, I'm kind of with you and I've kind of swung around on that. I mean, I thought even as late as last off season, I think I called him like a, a huge draft trap. I really thought he was going to be a trap last year because he just, you know, wasn't going to get enough productivity in the passing game that he could be um, the game script uh, could, could so easily go against him. And, and, you know, if the Titans had a bad season and things didn't break right. Uh, and I was totally wrong on that. And I, I think I got to come around and officially side with you on that. Um, speaking of the Titans, Ray, you mentioned uh, you tweeted something a few days ago that that some dynasty owners can't seem to quit Josh Rosen and Corey Davis. <laughs> uh, I think we can wave the white flag on Josh Rosen for sure. But uh, you think this is pretty much as good as it gets for Corey Davis? Like we've we've already seen peak Corey Davis. Hey, listen, I've got somebody offered me, maybe they saw that tweet and they were being funny, but they offered me Josh Rosen in a trade the other day. So there are still some people out there holding out hope for Rosen. I'm just, I'm putting it out there. I'm not that guy, but um, they weren't looking for like a 2021 first or something like that. It was, it was a third. So they tried to make the offer look semi legit, but I still was very agitated seeing Josh Rosen in my inbox. (laughs) But uh, Corey Davis, um, yeah, I think Corey Davis is who he is. I know a lot of people are still holding out hope for that fifth-year breakout. You know, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I just, I don't want any part of Corey Davis. I I guess if I'm sitting there towards the end of the draft, you could take a dart throw. But he just, he hasn't been it. He's had every opportunity, and I understand the argument is Marcus Mariota wasn't a very good quarterback. Well, he wasn't a very good wide receiver, and I'm not going to put all of that on the quarterback. I just I just don't think he's that guy that we wanted him to be. That is fifth overall. I think he was drafted fifth overall. His draft capital uh, lends up to be, and sometimes that happens. We see it before. We see, we've seen it before, and we'll continue to see it. And uh, if he proves me wrong, then I'll go on whatever platform and say I was wrong, but I just – I don't. I don't see it happening for uh, Corey Davis. Yeah, I've. I guess I was always a little leery when uh, you know when he was in college and they went up against my Badgers in the um, in uh, 2016. God, I can't even remember what bowl that was, and that's pretty bad. But uh, we had this little cover corner, pretty good one named Sojourn Shelton, and he didn't stick in the NFL. Went to camp like with the Cardinals. Uh, wasn't quite big enough to make it, I guess, but he pretty much threw a blanket on uh, Corey Davis in that game, just basically going man on man with, you know, minimal safety help and no double, double coverage. Um, 
like Corey Davis did have a touchdown in that game, but it was kind of a, a fluky push off type catch. And, uh, you know, otherwise I think it, it was a pretty minimal impact game for him, like maybe 50 or 60 yards aside from that one catch. Um, Anyway, Ray, you recently took a closer look at uh, the Miami wide receivers. And how do you think things are going to shake out with uh, Devontae Parker and, and Preston Williams, who you had mentioned earlier? Like, um, I know you like Preston, but do you think his recovery after last year's torn ACL is necessarily going to throw a blanket over Parker, who broke out, you know, to such a, a an impressive degree, I guess, in the second half of last season? Man, you know, I, I, I hope Preston is over the ACL injury. You know, they say you want to kind of avoid wide receivers the year after an ACL injury. We saw Cooper Cup start off hot, faded a little late. The Rams offense got bad late as well. But I think ACL injuries aren't what they used to be. And because that he suffered that midseason, he's had a little bit, you know, a little bit of extra time to recover. Uh, a younger player, so I'm hoping that uh, it, that, th- that those Wolverine genes kind of take over and allow Preston Williams to come back at full strength. And if I believe Miami thinks he will. They didn't invest any draft capital in a wide receiver uh, in the 2020 draft, so they must feel good about where he is in his recovery process. Devontae Parker, he showed up and showed out last year. Way to go, finally living up to that draft capital and showing that promise that he he had coming out of Louisville. He looked good, and I think both of those players complement each other very well. Hopefully we see Mike Gesicki integrated into the offense a little bit more because that's another athletic receiving option for Tua. Albert Wilson, if he can come back, Jakeem Grant. So uh, I, I think with the core of Gesicki, Parker, and Preston Williams, that could be very good for Tua, for the Dolphins, and for us in fantasy. Uh, I, th- I think the arrow is it can only be pointed up for the Dolphins. Well, it's been sort of vague as to, um, you know, and, and hard to read the tea leaves on how much time they're going to give Tua, uh, you know, coming off his injury and, you know, whether they just kind of give him a redshirt year with, with Fitzpatrick starting again. I mean, do you think if Tua gets significant playing time that there's going to be maybe – sort of an overall downgrade to the pass catchers. They're losing Fitzpatrick's uh, DGAF quarterbacking style where, you know, he'll just throw it up and let his guys make plays. There was a lot of that. Uh, I was watching some Dolphins film, and there was a lot of just YOLO balls from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Just he didn't care if it was picked off or caught. He was just throwing it, right? Um, What Tua lacks in the – YOLO category, he more than makes up for with his distribution of the ball, his processing, his accuracy. So absolutely, there'll be a not only a learning curve for Tua, he's going to have to get over that injury, right? He's going to have to get hit. He's going to have to get confident in himself again. And I know it's easy to say, but it's it's difficult. It was difficult in college. It was difficult in high school, let alone playing in the NFL after coming off the injury that everybody's talked about, it will be on his mind. And it is some a fear that he will have to inevitably overcome whenever it is he sees action. I would really hope if if I were running the Dolphins, he wouldn't touch the field in 2020. He just wouldn't play. He, I don't care how healthy he is right now. We're going to redshirt you. You're going to learn. You're going to sit. 
and it'll be wheels up in 2021. Yeah. And we may well see that happen, but I agree with you. Um, you know, if, if he does play, of course, he's not going to be as aggressive, uh, challenging defenses downfield as Fitzpatrick, but really who is, and, uh, you know, he's going to more than make up for it. Well, I don't know about more than, but, um, you know, Fitz is obviously not in his category for precision passing, not even in the same galaxy as Tua. So, um, Ray, you did a, a recent DDP show where you talked about some high upside, low ADP running backs. Um, Tony Pollard was on the list, Kareem Hunt, Latavius Murray. Uh, then two guys maybe we should drill down on a little bit, Alexander Madison and Benny Snell. Uh, first of all, with Madison, I mean, just the, the news that came out earlier today with that Alvin Cook looking like a possible holdout. I, I suppose that's going to maybe ruin the low ADP thing, but um God, where do we think he might wind up going in drafts if there's any sort of ambiguity about Cook and he's threatening holdout when camp's open? I mean, where you think we're seeing Madison go in like the, the fifth, sixth round? If we get to that point and Dalvin is seriously on his Ezekiel Elliott where he's like, I'm not coming. <laughs> I don't care what you guys say. I will not be here. You're going to see Madison creeping in, I think, fourth round. Here's the thing. I, I just I don't think running backs have a lot of leverage anymore. I, I think with with the new CBA coming into play, like these guys, it's just a, it's a replaceable position. And Todd Gurley ruined it for a lot of people. Ezekiel Elliott ruined it. I, I think there are two running backs who were going to get paid and one of them already got their money. And that was Christian McCaffrey. And then the next is Saquon Barkley. So uh, Madison's ADP is going to skyrocket his trade value. I can't wait to check some trades uh, trade finder over at DLF kind of tells you uh, who's been picked and who's been traded for what I, I can't wait to check those tomorrow because it would not shock me at all to see Alexander Madison going for 2021 seconds or if somebody's feeling desperate giving up a 2021 first for alexander madison right now yeah what about uh snell how sold are you in the talents uh does the lack of speed bother you i mean obviously that's not really his game and i guess does the addition of anthony mcfarland bother you yeah i'm not sold on the talent at all <laughs> but i'm sold on the opportunity and i'm sold on the fact that when james connor was down last year Benny Snell was able to receive, I think he had over 100 carries last year as a rookie. And that's what I'm sold on more than anything. It's not Benny Snell. It's A, and I don't like to wish injury upon anybody, but it James Conner's going to get hurt at some point next season. He, he He's always injured. He gets hurt. It's just going to happen. And when he went down last year, Benny Snell was the next back up. Jalen Samuels is not a good running back. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, but that experience, that experiment is over. He, he can't run between the tackles. And while I think Anthony McFarlane is, a, is an underrated rookie running back in the 2020 class, it remains to be seen if he's going to receive those touches. So when you're looking at the skill set, what Benny Snell does well is bang between the tackles. He's, he's a grinder. He's a physical running back. Uh, I think there's some opportunity for him to play. And in fantasy, you need running backs because they go down. And if he's playing, he's got value. He's an asset that you can include in a trade. So I'm more sold on his cost, which is dirt cheap, 
compared to his upside, which he could be a starting running back in 2020. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm kind of with you on that as far as McFarland not really being a threat to stealth. They're just totally different backs. I mean, McFarland is always looking to kick everything outside, which, um, you know, just a different type of dude. And I, I think if or, you know, unfortunately, probably when, based on the track record, Connor does go down, uh, I think you're right. I think, it, you know, Snell is probably going to be the, I don't know, maybe they divvy up the load a little bit, but he's probably going to have the lion's share of it. Um Ray, one guy I've been warming up to lately in uh, basketball drafts is is Steven Sims Jr. And I know you like him too. Um, and I'm I'm kind of hoping the price doesn't go up as more people start getting out of the word about that. So maybe I should just shut the hell up here. Uh, but I can't help myself. What do you like about Sims? <laughs> Steven, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I was watching him last year and I just kept thinking, who is this guy? Like, who is this little wide receiver? And then you go look him up, and he didn't have an impressive combine. I mean, he he wasn't he didn't run a 4-3 or a 4-4, four, four, anything like that. But when he's on the field, he just moves different. He he just he moves different. And as a rookie who undrafted guy out of Kansas, uh I, I think he was undrafted, or he may have been like a very, very late pick. He's from Texas, so I knew the name. I had always we heard the name Steven Sims, so I kind of followed him. Knew he went to Kansas. Uh, then he was with the Redskins. Uh, not a big Redskins fan, but my my stepfather is. My mom lives in D.C. And then he just he started making plays, and I said, "Man, this this guy's got a role." You know, Terry McLaurin is going to demand the, the targets on the outside, but there's no competition for Steven Sims in the slot, and he's a better slot receiver than Trey Quinn. They lost Jordan Reed, so you need to have somebody with those intermediate media, intermediate catches. I think Steven Sims, he's a starter. He's starting. He's a starting wide receiver for the Washington Redskins, and I know Dwayne Haskins didn't look good early. He really didn't look that good late, but he got better, so we can only assume, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, that he'll improve in 2020. I think you're sitting on, that. that that's production. That's production for no cost, and that's how I like to. That's how I like the dynasty. That's how I like the fantasy is is to find players like Steven Sims, find undrafted players like Preston Williams, find late round picks like a Darius Slayton. You stash them away, and if they get the opportunity, here's here's what I say. This is this is my little slogan. I'm just looking for players that have an opportunity to get an opportunity to score me fantasy points. And that's what Steven Sims is. That's what the Preston Williams of the world are. They are players who have an opportunity to get an opportunity to score some fantasy points. Right. Two really good undrafted receivers. So the people who are just, uh, you know, totally enthralled by draft capital might get turned off by those two guys. But, um, you know, once the Redskins realized that Trey Quinn couldn't play uh, and, and put, Sims in that slot role down the stretch in December last year. I mean, I think like 20 catches over the last four weeks, like four touchdowns in his last three games, uh, just super productive. And like, you know, not obviously pretty small, like five, nine and, and just like four, six really pedestrian speed, but the guy's like a little technician and uh, you know, just the productivity alone. And the fact that, you know, other than McLaurin, the obvious alpha target there, yeah, they've got Kelvin Harmon there, but nothing at tight end. I mean, they're just targets galore to be had in Washington. So, um, 
you know, he is a, a really appealing option. I think he's, uh, even if people talk him up, he's going to be available in the late rounds, I would think, even into August. Uh, Ray, before I let you go, one more guy I have to ask you about. I saw you tweet about him a while ago, um, and I have a special affinity for this guy because I think he's probably the only guy in the NFL who went to the same university and the same high school as me. <laughs> Can Dari Agumbawale be Tom Brady's new version of James White in Tampa? Why not? Why can't he? Well, uh, you know, why not? I don't I don't know why people are just dismissing Dare. Dare was a pass catching back last year, 35 receptions on 46 targets. They they trusted him. He was playing those third down situations with Bruce there, Bruce Arians. Why do we Keyshawn Vaughn is just gonna make him go away? I don't I don't think so. I think Dari is going to have a role in this offense. And while I'm not telling everybody that he's 100% going to be James White, he's locked into that James White role. We knew if if New England was throwing the ball to a running back, it was going to James White, period, or Rex Burkhead, the few, you know, the couple of series that he got in the game. I, I do think Keyshawn Vaughn is going to catch some passes, but I don't think Dari Agumbawale is going away. He's shown well in the receiving game in limited opportunity. B.A. trusts him. Why not? That's my question to the people who say he can't be. Why not? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, obviously, Ronald Jones does not have that passing down skill sets. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Keyshawn Vaughn is fully cut out for the passing down role either. Uh, I don't know about Raymond Calais. I, I don't I haven't seen enough of him to um, wonder if as as. God, was he seventh round or was he undrafted? I can't remember. I think he was. I think he was seventh round. I think. Yeah, but he might have been undrafted. At that point, you're undrafted anyway, right? Right, pretty much. Um, you know, but but Dari is the incumbent. I mean, even Wisconsin, you know, never never really considered as an early down guy, but you know, a really dependable third down guy. So. Um, yeah, I would love to see him have that role. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, as you mentioned, seeing him in a picture working with Brady this offseason, one of the few guys to get the, uh, you know, the Brady workouts, that's a pretty good sign. Well, Ray, I've had so much fun talking to you and uh, tapping into your vast wellspring of fantasy football wisdom. So thanks for giving up your time to come chat with me tonight. Um, this has been great. I appreciate you. I, I, I thank you. This was fun. I told you when uh, you reached out to me and I saw the show sheet of what we were going to be covering, I, I literally lit up because I was like, yes, we're just talking football. And, you know, I think that's what we need right now. I'm excited for the season. Looks like we're going to have a college season and an NFL season. So this was exciting. Thank you for having me on. I truly, truly appreciate it. Oh, well, it's my honor to have you, Ray. Uh, before you go, can you give people, people your Twitter handle one more time and tell them where they can find all your content? Yeah, Twitter handle at RayGQ. That's Q-U-E. Content, I am a writer with Dynasty League Football, so I've got content over there. YouTube channel, Destination Devi. Check that out. And patreon.com forward slash all gas for my uh, rankings and some other cool stuff that I do for uh, my patrons over there. Outstanding, Ray. Thanks again, and uh, I hope we can talk again real soon. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for the show. My thanks once again to this week's guest, Ray Garvin. Find him on Twitter at RayGQ. That's Ray G-Q-U-E. Thank you to my trusty producer, Colm Kelly. 
Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland, and be sure to check out the podcast that Calm co-hosts with Sean Siegel. It's called Rotoviz Overtime, and it is an excellent listen. Special thanks to my friend and colleague Melissa Jacobs, who lets me park my content at her website, thefootballgirl.com. Melissa has been writing some wonderful online articles for the British newspaper, The Guardian, about the NFL and its handling of social issues. Follow Melissa at The Football Girl and check out those articles on The Guardian. And last but not least, my thanks to all of you. I'm lucky to have such a terrific group of listeners, and I'm deeply grateful to you for dropping in on the show. And don't forget, for that chance to get into the Scott Fishbowl and join in the fun when drafts start next month, rate and review the podcast to be entered into a random drawing for an SFP spot. Okay, I'm out, people. Thanks again. Talk to you next week. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX. Show Hazen. Are you?